Sales Tuners, Episode 45, Kyle Porter, Founder and CEO at SalesLoft. This industry requires three things, a fundamental belief in yourself, a fundamental belief in your product or service or offering, and then a fundamental belief in the company you represent. And then all sales is, is transferring that belief to someone else. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Mark Twain, who said 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones that you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, and discover. Joining me today is Kyle Porter, founder and CEO of SalesLoft a tool I use on a daily basis for sales communication, engagement, and personalization, and a company that Kyle has grown from five employees to over 170, while tripling revenue each of the last two years. He's been a salesman seemingly his entire life, or at least since the age of five, when he'd go to the flea market to buy G.I. Joes at discount and then sell them to the neighbor kids. It's no wonder he's leading the charge of SaaS eating the sales world today. Before we dive in, I wanted to just let you know we are coming up on our 50th episode. Crazy, right? Well, I wanted to reach out to all of you in SalesSooners Nation to see who I should have on for that milestone show coming up in just over a month. Shoot me an email with your suggestion to jim at salestuners.com. If I end up having your guest on, I will send you the sales book of your choice, either hard copy or on Kindle. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 45. But now let's get to the conversation where Kyle describes his initial vision for SalesLoft as a bucket list item he shared with other recent college grads. Back in 2005, I just graduated from Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, and I started to take some entrepreneurship post-course credit. And, uh, and and I created this small group of folks who wanted to be entrepreneurs down at Georgia Tech. And we'd meet on a weekly basis and talk about our goals and dreams. And I remember looking around the room and seeing people that had all these talents, all these skills, all these capabilities, but they didn't have the wisdom or the direction or the experience or knowing the next step to take that and bring it to fulfillment. And so I started taking this group out to entrepreneurship events where we would meet entrepreneurs and learn from them. And I realized that those entrepreneurs were able to teach so much more than I was. So I wrote down on a piece of paper that uh, I did a bucket list with my wife, now wife, then, and, uh, and said all the things you want to do. And one of them was to run a company in technology in Atlanta. And the purpose was to create an environment where others could learn more, do more, and become more. And so you know, my, my mission in life is to use my talents and skills to put them all the way to the fullest so I can serve other people. And those people are most uh, readily lined up with tech and entrepreneurship and in most particular sales. There's so much that I want to talk to you about today. And we're going to talk a lot about business, but I want to get personal real quick. I've read that you and your wife, April, owned a tangerine farm down in Florida. Is that true? It is. And I'm actually sitting here right now. So okay. I, I, do, I do Mondays in Florida often. And we just had a little son. So I've got a three and a half week 
old son. But I'm sitting at the tangerine farm. My wife is fourth generation tangerine family out of central Florida. And it was her dream to own a tangerine farm. Now, we were broke when we started sales off because I put all my money in the company and went with no salary for the first year and a half. But on one of our financing rounds, I went to the investors and I said, hey, I'd like to sell a little bit of my stock back and I'm going to turn around and use it to buy my wife her dream farm. And, uh, you know, she let she let me pursue my dream for so many years, especially when it didn't look like it was going anywhere. And she believed in me the whole time. And so it was always my hope and desire to be able to fulfill, fulfill her dream. So we own a tangerine farm and it's a blast. There we go. There we go. That's so fun. Kyle, take me way back real quick. How did you even get into sales? Man, I'll tell you what, you know, a wild story that not a lot of people know about me. I was born with a rare blood disease and wasn't expected to live past infancy. Uh, doctors actually told my parents I wouldn't live past one, two, three years old, kind of kept outliving the doctor's, uh, uh, you know, order there. But one of the things that just when I was a kid, I couldn't get out and play football, I couldn't play basketball like I wanted to. And uh, so I started getting into collectibles, baseball cards, beanie babies, uh, you know, old cans, uh, comic books. And then I quickly realized there was a marketplace for these things. And the coolest thing was when I was able to deliver something that someone had wanted so bad that they couldn't get anywhere else. And I'll never forget the look in people's eyes when I was able to bring those things to them. And I've just never, I've, I fell in love with it then and I've never lost that passion. That's incredible. And you've done a lot since then. I want to focus on sales loft real quick. So what, tell my listeners, what is that? And, and how does someone decide to buy from you guys today? What we're doing here is, you know, the sales industry is, is one which has been, uh, it's been very stable in the way that it's operated for a large number of years. And then it's dramatically changed recently. And what's happened is, is that for the longest period of time, companies were good traditionally with one of the two most necessary parts of sales. They were either good at connecting in a human level with their buyer, understanding them, uh, communicating with value, connecting in a sincere and authentic way. Or like many of the tech companies that kind of came over the wave over the last decade, they were good at process, at sending the right messages at the right times. Uh, but a lot of organizations, but no real organization, not that many of them have taken those two things and combined them. And so for me, the modern sales organization is one that is process oriented. It's predictable and repeatable. And you can, it's analytical, it's based in science and math, but it's also doesn't lose that human piece. It's empathetic, sincere, one-to-one, -one, connected, honest. And bringing those two things together is what SalesLoft is all about. So we've built the world's best sales engagement platform. And this is a way for an organization to take their entire go-to-market and codify it into our system, then deploy it to their reps and agents and teams so that when those individuals log in and get in the environment, they're able to execute on all the tasks that they need to in order to connect with a larger number of buyers in a more sincere way. So by following the process the organization has set out for themselves, they spend more engaged selling time with the buyer and that selling time is more valuable or higher quality. And then there's all kinds of data and analytics that improve along the process, make suggestions on what you should do instead, and, and really hone and craft that ultimate sales machine. So it's that type of software platform that we've now deployed to 1,500 organizations around the world and uh, serving more and more each and every day. 
you said a lot there that I want to try to unpack, and I'm going to go here first. I've seen you at multiple uh, industry events, trade shows, including your own down in Atlanta, which I, I highly recommend to my listeners. But um, you, besides having the best sneakers uh, at the conferences, I've heard you say multiple times that you have an intense passion to help salespeople serve their customers with, as you just said, sincerity and empathy. What does that actually mean? What I found over time, and I, I saw a, uh, an email the other day that floated around in a chain of a group that I'm in, and it talked about how that this person was making the the assumption that salespeople who were selfish were the ones who won the most business. And, uh, and, and I thought about it, and they had some logical arguments that said if they're selfish with their time, then they get to be more on their process. But I just had fundamental disagreements all the way through this thing, because what I found is that when, when you have someone who is excellent at serving the customer, what that typically, what that always stems from really is someone who's excellent at serving in general and being able to serve is not, it, it's, it's something that people grow and learn and do over time. And it becomes a trait from them. And that trait is, is, is steeped in this idea that you love and connect and want to want what's best for other people. And so I believe that the best salespeople in the world are the ones that care so much that they're willing to go out on a line, to go out on an edge, to work so hard to serve and help those organizations to accomplish the thing or solve the problem of which their business is, is, is positioned to do. And so that's where it all begins for me is, you know, kind of love follows where the heart is. And when you care enough about your people, then you're going to, you're not going to stop at anything to give them the best service that you possibly can. And so that's what I believe about sincerity. Sincerity is understanding your buyer, digging deep into the needs, doing your research beforehand, being informed, being honest, being upfront with them, but also communicating in a way that's going to help them solve their problem. And sometimes that means, you know, insert challenger sales. Sometimes that means, you know, kind of taking them down a path that they didn't think they were wanted to be going or that they didn't know they should go. There are times back in my youth when I had baseball cards for, you know, rookies of the year who were fantastic. And I needed to communicate that with my buyers. Hey, you're going to want this Chipper Jones rookie card because he's going to blow up in Atlanta, right? <laughs> sure. and, uh, and that's what sincerity is all about, is caring about the person that you're dealing with so much that you're willing to do all the things you can to help serve them. So I totally buy into this. I think that uh, having the empathy of a buyer is one of the best things you can do in sales. It's often why I say, in my opinion, the best salespeople for the next generation are going to be those who've come from the, the the side of where their customer is, as opposed to just being trained in salespeople. But that's maybe a conversation for another day. Uh, when you talk about sincerity, though, and then you talk about at scale, that's hard. It's hard to do the things that you've just talked about and laid out, especially when you have the pressure of hitting your numbers, especially when, you know, in this new world of SDRs, you're doing outbound and getting told no over and over and over and, and really kind of just like trying to find somebody who will take your conversation. So how are you able to scale this sincerity? Well, the first part is eliminating the tasks that don't require sincerity, right? So in the course of a sales effort, you know, any sort of salesperson has a number of accounts that they're working with that they're working to convert into customer accounts, right? That's what sales is all about is taking target accounts, connecting with them, qualifying them, communicating with them, and then converting them over to customer accounts so you can continue to serve them as accounts. And so in that process, there are all kinds of things being done that um, that don't require humanity or empathy or sincerity. And, you know, a lot of those are the setting the follow-up task up, uh, you know, reminding you what to do, when to do it, looking things up in the CRM, saving things to the CRM. There's all kinds of these tasks 
that can just straight up be eliminated by having the right platform in place that give your reps more time to do what they do best, which is bring that level of engagement to directly to their buyer. So I think that's the biggest one is, is eliminating the, the things that don't require empathy. And then the second one is injecting more information into the workflow so that sellers have that level of, of information and they can connect on that level. I'll give you an example. I was just thinking about this the other day. Imagine that you and I today in, invented some cure for cancer, right? We invented a cure for cancer and, uh, and, and there are, you know, 1 million people with this, this form of it. And, you know, it, it, certainly not trying to downplay a terrible disease, but let's say that we came up with this cure. It's our mission. It's our, our it, it is, we, we are called to go out and find those million people and serve them with this cure because it's going to save their life, Right. And so we're going to do whatever we can to get there. And if there's systems in place that can allow us to get in front of them in a more fa- in a faster way with a better message uh, in a way that is received from them more readily, then we're going to do those things. And so think about that when you think about uh, sales engagement. It's figuring out how do we get to the right buyers with the right message and get to more and more and more of them than we did before uh, with a better and better and better message. And so that's what it's all about. I'm with you. I'm buying this, but like in, especially in the competitive space that we have today with so many tools, so many different solutions that aren't even software, how do we, how do we kind of, um, unseat, if you will, incumbent vendors that that are already there? Like, I just feel like there's a lot of just getting completely shut down because it's, Hey, we have no budget. We already have a solution for that. We already have someone in place. So regardless of whether or not we have the right messaging getting to them, it's kind of falling on deaf ears because there's so many people bombarding people right now right now with these messages. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, but but I want to actually take us a step backwards and establish something that's absolutely critical for in order for any of this to work. And it's that your solution is amazing, right? Okay. If, if you don't believe in the thing that you're selling, these strategies that I'm talking to you about today, they're just not going to work, right? The first person that needs to be sold in any sort of engagement is the actual seller themselves. Because if you believe something deep down in your core, one of my favorite quotes on selling is that this industry that we're talking to, we're talking about today on the podcast that I love, that you love, that I've been doing my whole life, this industry requires three things, a fundamental belief in yourself, a fundamental belief in your product or service or offering, and then a fundamental belief in the company you represent. And then all sales is, is transferring that belief to someone else. So let's start there. If you don't have a better widget, then good luck, right? It, you know, I can't help you there. You got to figure out, you got to be representing something that has a valuable, an audience that you can serve. Now, once you do have that thing, you need to identify that audience that you can serve, right? I'm not calling on on the fire department to sell sales loft because I don't think they can use it right now. Now, maybe one day we'll come up with something for them, but that's not our audience, right? So once you've identified and really narrowed in on that core ideal customer profile from an account perspective, now it's your game to start putting those things into play, distributing them to your team, and then running campaigns to connect with them. And a sales campaign is just one campaign. There's account executive campaigns, there's sales development campaigns, there's marketing campaigns, there's executive communication campaigns, right? But really, it's all one strategy to convert those target accounts into customer accounts. And when you have those things running in tandem with each other, when you have a system set up to keep you accountable to the right steps, when you have automations at play 
to eliminate the tasks that you don't want to do or don't need to be doing, but also get the communications out there so that they reach way more target accounts than you could on your own without a machine. When you do those things, you can overcome all kinds of obstacles in the sales environment in order to get past what you're talking about, which is tons of fatigue, crazy busy buyers, and lots of things going on from the buyer's perspective. There's a fun image, a cartoon that's floating around the internet. I'm sure you've seen it. It's got a, a picture of a general at wartime, and he's headed off to battle with a sword in his hand. And he says, I don't have time for a stinking salesperson. I've got a battle to fight. <laughs> and the salesperson's in the back with a machine gun, you know, a Gatling gun, like hands in the air, like, come on, man, I got this thing right here, right? Now imagine that's you as the person selling that Gatling gun. You're, you know that you can add value to that general. Are you, what are you, you going to let get in the way of you doing that? So far, we've talked about cancer and war. I can't wait to see what other analogies you're going to bring up, but I'm loving this. This is good. This is good. Uh, you talked about these fundamental beliefs, and I love that. Um, it, it made me think of a guy you know very well, John Barros. He uh, he made sure that you wore a Tom Brady jersey on stage not too long ago. But uh, John was my hero before that moment. <laughs> before that moment. So it, when, when he was on the show back way back in episode six, he talked about the idea of transferring enthusiasm into a commission. And, and, I, and I love the parallel that you guys are syncing up with right now, because as you said, and I wrote this down, it's probably going to be tweeted out a hundred times after this, but the first person that needs to be sold is the seller themselves. That's extremely powerful. And I think that just even the work that I do, uh, Kyle, on a daily basis, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall sometimes with the reps that I'm working with because they don't believe in their own product. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's hard to do, really do anything, let alone cold call, let alone cold outreach, let alone walk up to somebody at a trade show. It's hard to do any of that if you're just walking around without belief in what it is that you're trying to communicate. I think that's powerful stuff. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't think it's just, uh, it, it doesn't just happen magically. You can also manufacture that belief. That, that love, right? Like there's the old song. It's like, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, you can find something to love about what you represent. Now, it's not going to be perfect in every way. There's no product on the planet that is. But what I'm saying here is that if you dive in and you study all the people whose lives have been changed by your product, you get in their shoes and feel what happened when they solved their problem. You know the ins and outs of the, from the people who made it. You you ask your customer service and success people to, to share stories with you. You have the opportunity to love your offering more and more and more and more. And if your company's around and you're growing, then you're doing something special and you need to become intimately aware of that so that you can fall in love with your own product first. And once you're in love with it, it's easy to share it. Are, are you married yet, Jim? I married? am. I am. We, we, okay. I have a three-year-old little boy as well. So very similar to you with your daughter. Oh, awesome. Think about the love that you have for your family. Just think about it right now. And anyone listening, think about the exact same thing. Now imagine someone was was arguing or debating with you that they weren't worthy of that love. Oh, you're going to fight. I mean, I just I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> tensing up right now. And, That's right. And they're going to walk away. You're going you, you, they're going to walk away con, you're going to be convincing them or you're going to die trying, right? And and that's what I love about people who who really know how to get into sales is they they love what they do so much and what they represent that they're not going to stop until the people that they can serve understand that. And that's what it's all about. Balance that out for me. How do we go from, well, first off, how do we cut through the clutter in the uh, inbox? And I and when I say inbox, I mean the global inbox at this point. You've got email, you've got voicemail, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Twitter. How do you break through the clutter of the inbox and let that message even be heard? Let's start there first. 
Well, you get great subject lines are the only answer to that question, technically, right? Uh, you know, persistence and subject lines are the, are the best answers because, um, you know, I, I have a number of filters set up on my inbox. I talk to customers all the time about this. Emails that have the right subject lines get opened. Now, once it's opened, it's the content of the messaging. Does it understand? Does it, does it show an understanding of the pains of the organization or the individual opening that email? Does it make a good hypothesis on how you can serve them? Does it make the, the recipient feel like you're easy to do business with? And does it give a clear cut call to action that's simple enough to, to act on in a short period of time? I think those are the things. And then, and then is there persistence? I'll tell you right now, and actually going back to John Barrows, when he spoke at the Rainmaker conference, he said he had run a survey across executives and he, would, and he asked them, if, some, if a seller came to you with a creative and sincere message four times in a row, would you ever turn it down? And their answer was absolutely not. If someone actually thought about them, was was creative, was unique, was engaging, and came with some pers- pleasant persistence, they would respond to all of those environments. And and I know that's true because I get so much spam, but every once in a while I get something special. And I'll react to the special things. I think I've even read online, you lay out, if you want to get a hold of me, here's the things that you have to put in there. And I honestly think it was the same ones, like show pains for the org, hypothesize a solution that could actually work in my environment and give me clear next steps. And so now you're adding persistence to that, which, which makes a lot of sense. Someone sold our company on a product that we use in HR in that method. I forgot the name of it, but it's one of the recruiting products that we use. And uh, they first engaged us that way. Outstanding. Outstanding. Kyle, there's so many places I want to go with this, like I said, but one of them is I'm going to talk about product a little bit because it is a sales product. It's a sales enablement product that you have, but you grew the company to more than $6 million ARR in less than three years, but then you shut down that product and completely pivoted. Now that's bold, right? What were you thinking? Uh, I thought I could handle the uh, the chest pains through the emotion. <laughs> of doing that. No, it, it, it actually, it, uh, it's, it felt it was a lot more simpler than it sounds. We had at that point in time, we had two products. We had the date, the old legacy data product that had reached a great run rate, but we also had this core sales engagement product that our entire business is made up from today. And the sales engagement product was growing at double. It was, it was a multi-million dollar run rate at the time, still growing at double digit percentages on a monthly basis. And the big, big, big difference was it had five times the engagement of use. So each individual customer was using it five times more than they were using the previous products. And it was five times the number of users that were using it per account. So the data product, we'd sell it in and it'd be one person would use it a few times a week. And then this sales engagement platform, we'd sell in and it'd be all the people in the sales team using it every day. And so that was a big difference maker. And uh, and we realized that if we're going to fulfill our goal, which is to create an IPO bound hundred plus million dollar ARR company in a short period of time, really changing the game of sales. We need to deliver something that enables companies to really grow and succeed. And then lastly, this old school legacy data product, it was actually promoting the bat, the wrong habits that I didn't believe in. And the minute I found out about that, I, I, I became uh, passionate about changing it. What it was, was it actually was the reason that we started the new platform because people were buying this old data service they buy these big lists of prospects and then they drop them in the marketing automation spam blaster 
or the automated email campaign spam blaster. And there's still a lot of these out there. You know, there's companies that think that just turning on the grinder of email automation is the way to go. And it's absolutely not. And, and I saw it fail and fail and, and give companies bad reputations. And the problem with it is it actually succeeds up front, right? When, when you demo it or look at it and you're like, man, we're going to auto blast out all these emails. Uh, you know, it looks, it looks good and it works in the first couple, you know, in, in the first period of time, but over time it gives your brand a terrible reputation. It burns up all the prospects that you have and, uh, and your sellers aren't trained to do anything other than be email monkeys. And so we knew that that wasn't going to work long term and we wanted our customers to do the right thing. And so we created this sales engagement platform that really would mimic what great organizations were already doing, but spending a lot of time and using a lot of spreadsheets and Salesforce tasks in order to do it. I think something you said there that was powerful to me is that it burns up all the leads that you have, right? And I think that that is something people need to understand because everyone wants to just hit these big astronomical numbers right out of the gate. But regardless of your industry, you have a finite amount of of people that you can go after, right? Whether it's 100 sure. or whether it's 100,000. And if you're going to reach out to them, let's reach out to them with the right message. And so if if you send a one message out to everybody and then you just keep doing that every single day, you're literally just going to burn through that and you have damaged the entire database of, of people or prospects that you have, as opposed to just taking it slow, figure out what works, figure out how to personalize to them, figure out those pains that resonate with them and really start to break through that clutter before you start to send it out to more and more people. Yeah. You know what hurts me more than anything in the world is when you have a great seller who's ready to engage in that way, the way you just described. And they go in the database to reach out to this target account that they love so much and want to serve. And they realize that they've gotten three bad email blasts in the last six, you know, four months or three months. And the last one was last week. Wow. And due to, due to their rules of engagement, they can't engage now. Wow. Yeah. That's the most painful thing in sales. Absolutely. You talked about uh, the bad habits that, you know, the previous tool was kind of um, uh, alluding to. Let's talk about the good habits, right? So whether it's today or as you look into the future now, what are the best salespeople doing as a habit on a weekly basis these days? Well, they're following a process. You know, uh, I think in my own career and in watching great sellers, salespeople have this desire to, uh, you know, to kind of be the trailblazer to, you know, create their own path to to make their own kind of adjustments on the fly. But what I'm seeing more and more of is that we have these systems that enable us to identify the right process, the right number of touch points, the right message, uh, you know, cadences at the right, you know, right moments. And uh, and I think there's a lot of going rogue happening in sales. Now, I'm not against tweaking and improving and making better, but I think there's a huge opportunity for the right uh, you know, sales organizations to stand a little more firm on the way they go to market and win their success, then, uh, you know, request and, and bring in the great sellers to improve on that process. So that's one that I'm worried about that, you know, that I see a little pains happening in the marketplace. Um, but then the good ones are putting them in place and following them and executing really, really well. So, uh, that's a huge one. The other thing that I love that, you know, modern sales is enabling us to do is to really get coverage on our target accounts. Right. I think, you know, when you look at SalesLoft and, and the history of the company, what we've done over time is we've, we, we ourselves and our customers have been able to reach more customers with a better message. And, um, you know, and, and like I said about that, that, you know, pain when you see someone that wants to reach out to account, but they've had 
you know, a bad, uh, you know, connection in the, you know, like a spam blast connection in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that, that's what we're trying to avoid. And I think that sales organizations today can, or sales reps inside of organizations can effectively, sincerely communicate in personalized ways with about 70 accounts on a monthly basis. And they can run some automations to a few hundred as well. Now, those few hundred, they should never be classified as your top tier accounts, right? You said earlier something about uh, the, the size of the market. No matter what you do, it's finite. Let's say that you're a company that, that believes that there is an infinite market. There is definitely a finite amount of A plus accounts, right? And those A plus accounts definitely shouldn't be getting, uh, you know, a level of automation. You should save that for your B minuses and your C's. And, and I think that's another thing that, that great organizations are doing and great sellers are doing today. Hopefully, there aren't any buyers out there listening that just heard you say, hey, if you're getting an automated email, it's essentially your B minus on our account. I'm, well, just, I, I'm, know, just, I, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> we, we sold to a carpeting company company and had to tell them, hey, you're not our target account. You know, we weren't, we weren't going after you as our, you know, our number one. We're glad you're here and, and definitely we're going to serve you, uh, you know, in the same way we would any account. Uh, but we're not going to go after you with the same level of vigor because sure. the likelihood of us connecting and resonating and and being able to add value, uh, you know, is just lower because you might not be on a modern CRM. You might not have the right, you know, goals in place. Um, so I think I think that's okay. Uh, you know, you want to be careful around that that language. But you know, it's there. There are definitely ways to identify which accounts are most likely to be your customer accounts. And I think people need to think about that when they're going to market. Yeah, I think there's power in telling people no too, right? You you said it very well. And it's like, hey, you're not our target audience. I'll sell you the product, but this isn't the main use case that we go after. And then I think there's power in being able to tell a prospect, hey, the, you may not be for us and that's okay. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do for a seller, but the good ones figure out how to do it and do it quick so they can move on to the next ones. Yeah. We've talked a lot, Kyle, about the prospecting, you know, the upfront outreach. What about the actual full sales process? So now we've got them, they're an opportunity. What is it the most common thing you've seen sales reps do, whether yours or, or other people, to lose control of their sales process? When you have environments where you have a lot of demand, which is one scenario, um, what I've seen organizations do is focus too much on the ones that are going to be quick wins and lose out on the ones that'll take time. So, um, you know, I, I saw this with early customers that they had, if they had something that was, you know, nice and new to the market that people wanted, they had a lot of low hanging fruit and their reps would spend a lot of time converting that low hanging fruit. And if someone kind of gave some pushbacks, they would move on to the next thing because they had so many opportunities. But there's a guy named Dan McDade out there. I don't know if you know Dan. And he wrote a book on leads. I think it's called The Truth About Leads. And interestingly, one of the, the theses of that book is that a long-term lead is better than a short-term lead. And the idea there is not that you want long sales cycles, but that if you can stack up a bunch of long-term leads and you can communicate the right strategies with those organizations, that you can become intertwined into the to the way they solve their problem. And that's how bigger buyers are buying. And that's how more, you know, uh, larger deals are happening is that you're engaged early and you're engaged often. And I think a lot of salespeople are, are uh, you know, kind of hitting and moving on and, uh, and not taking the right steps to continually follow up with those accounts that aren't just ready right this minute. And I think that's a big, big, big no-no and a worry of mine is that, uh, you know, kind of the, the leads that will be hot 
uh, down the road aren't being communicated with on an ongoing basis. I had not heard of Dan, but I will be correcting that after the show today. I'll pick up that book and uh, yeah, I'm going to take a look. Kyle, it seems like every great salesperson out there has a story, remembers the one that got away, you know, a big deal that you lost. You guys have been doing this for over five years now. Is there one of those that you can tell me about? I used to sell digital LED displays and the company I represented, NanoLumens, we sold the world's largest and thinnest and flexible display. And we had an opportunity at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium to sell them these LED boards. And uh, in the middle of the presentation, they malfunctioned. Oh, my God. And it was just so terrible. And so the, this, this huge opportunity, uh, we weren't able to deliver it. Uh, but that company's fantastic and growing, has sold into some of the most amazing environments, sold uh, uh, you know, the, the largest displays in Brazil, uh, casinos in Las Vegas. If you go down to the new Brave Stadium in Atlanta, and so they've made up for it, but there was that one opportunity to get on the, you know, Jerry Jones big board and, and, uh, you know, as an organization, we couldn't convert. Yeah. It's hard. You, you mentioned Jerry Jones. That's what I say. The grandest stage of them all when it comes to Cowboy Stadium. So Kyle, I've got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners. I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Kyle, are you ready for the money round? Absolutely. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Well, I don't know if we're at exceptional yet, but we, we got a long way to go, but we've also come a long way. I think for me, it's, uh, it's self-awareness. It's understanding why I'm here, what my purpose in life is, and knowing that I'm going to go after it with everything I got. And so I think it's this attitude that um, you know, confidence in your own skin, um, direction in what you want to achieve, and uh, and an unrelenting desire to make it happen. I like that a lot. Uh, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next thirty days doing? Practice, 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 practice. I think uh, you know, in, in sales is uh, it's an art, it's a science, but the the biggest challenge is that people are uncomfortable with communicating. They're saying things they've never said before. They're fielding questions they've never fielded before. They're trying to solve problems they're not completely intimate with. And the more you practice, the more you try, the more you go after it, uh, the better you're going to get. I think uh, for a little while, I was the most terrible uh, guest at parties with my wife. Because every single person I talked to, I would just be, here's what SalesLoft does. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. And just trying to get them interested in a way where they'd ask questions and, and, you know, and I could gauge feedback. And, and I slipped and fell so many times early on. <laughs> but by practice, I was able to get comfortable and familiar with it so that I could answer those questions when they came along. Wow. Two-part question here for you, Kyle. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. A gentleman that's a customer of ours, uh, SVP of sales at Hortonworks, he got up and he said he asked that question in every interview. 
And, uh, and if they answer it wrong, he doesn't go forward. And, uh, you know, it's hate to lose. I mean, come on here. We, we, you know, we, we give ourselves, uh, only so much credit when we win, but when, when I lose, man, I am so hard on myself because I, I just don't want to lose so bad. Uh, you know, all these things I'm doing are so that I can, so that I can succeed. And, and any step back from that is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. I just watched, uh, Kobe Bryant's, uh, the muse. I think I mentioned this earlier and it was fantastic. And they're talking to him when he breaks his, when he busts his Achilles heel in 2014. I mean, this is the end of his career. Achilles heels have, have knocked out the best champions in NBA and they have the microphone on him after the game. And one of the reporters asked, are you, are you out? Are you done? Is this the last we'll see of you on the court? And the guy's like, the minute I felt that pain, that pain was driving me to get past it. You, you asking me that question is fuel for me exercising this thing to get back on stage. And so, you know, every time one of these, uh, one of these losses comes along, uh, you know, it just pains so deeply, but that pain is helpful because it helps go forward. That drive like Kobe and, and some of the other greats is just so incredible. Those are the ones that just refuse to lose. It's not hate to lose. They refuse to lose. So uh, that, that's... You probably like losing a little bit because it fuels that next win. That's right. That's right. Kyle, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Uh, it's RSVP Selling the Joshua Story uh, by Tony Hughes. This is a fantastic book for anyone out there. It really just dives into the sincerity and authenticity of, of serving with true value in a sales capacity. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Kyle's suggestion of RSVP selling for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Kyle, what's something that you believe in that nearly no one agrees with you on? I believe you can take your thoughts and transmit them out into the world to become a reality. And I, I know other people may feel it that way, but I might feel it a little bit deeper than most. That's powerful. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? You already said the word. You said they're grinding. They just need to keep doing that, right? Like, you know, grinding the word is it means, uh, you know, pursuing the thing you're trying to achieve with, with, you know, without letting anything stop you. And that means that you're studying, you're practicing, you're connecting, you're getting better, you're getting smarter, you're understanding more, you're listening to things like this, you're, uh, you know, you're paying attention to your manager, you're, you're finding who's the best on your sales floor and, and diving in deep with them, you're understanding the product inside and out, you're, you're connecting with, with people who are using it and getting success. It, that's the grind and, and it's all about not stopping that. that it's this idea of grit. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Kyle. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Come find me on uh, on Twitter or LinkedIn, Kyle, Kyle Porter on Twitter, and I think uh, KG Porter on LinkedIn. Kyle, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and joining us on Sales Centers. I really appreciate it. You do a great job with the podcast, and I'm really it's really an honor to be here. I've admired Kyle for quite a while, and I also mentioned I've been a user of Sales Law for a couple of years now. It was really cool for me to get to learn more about him as a person today. So let's get to my top takeaways, four of them this week. Number one, nice guys finish first. Kyle believes there's a misconception out there that salespeople who are selfish are the ones who win the most business. He says it's the other way around. When you sell with service on your mind and heart, you will succeed. 
The best salespeople are the ones who care so much. They're willing to go out on the edge and work hard to make sure their organization accomplishes the thing or solves the problem that it aims to solve. What that means starts with doing research beforehand and digging into the needs of the prospect, but it goes deeper than that. Be honest, be upfront with them, solve their problem, whatever it may be. Number two, practice sincerity. If you're not sincere about it, your job is over before it even starts. Instead, find ways to eliminate tasks that don't require sincerity. Converting accounts is a process that requires real empathy. That means finding out not only the right people to call, but taking it a step further and having meaningful conversations about how you can make their lives better. Finding something to love about what you represent will take you far. Knowing in your heart that what you're selling will make someone's life better can be the difference between a converted account and a dead lead. Number three, sell yourself first. If you don't believe in what you're selling, no trendy sales strategy is going to help you. The first person who needs to be sold in any sort of engagement is the actual seller themselves. Because if you believe in something, if it's a fundamental belief of yours, you are truly representing it as best as you can by using it to serve others. From there, you can convert target accounts to customer accounts because you have a belief system in place that empowers you to take on whatever obstacles and hurdles necessary. Number four, break through the clutter. Nearly everyone is on email overload these days, and there are apps and filters galore that stand between your message and your desired audience. While the first thing you need to do is stand out with a catchy email subject line, getting a response to your outreach should follow four easy steps. Show the pains of the organization, hypothesize solutions, define clear next steps, and demonstrate persistence. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I'll be talking to Cody Lamons of Tiny Pulse who will discuss how to show prospects they are better off with you than without you. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay-